Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. It's carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, and I'm joined here in the beautiful, illustrious Damascus Media Studio with my friend and brother in Christ, Dan Demite. Welcome, Dan. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing so well this morning. Just like St. Paul on his path to Damascus, he met the Lord and he was awakened to mission in uh, beyond Damascus is the show where, through our encounter with the Lord Jesus, we too are awakened to mission, and we share the stories of of men and women who, through that moment of encounter, have been awakened to a life changing and world changing mission. Dan, would you open us in prayer this morning? Absolutely, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would pour out grace upon the earth right now in this season, that we would come to know you more, love you more, and serve you more. Lord, I pray that uh, every divine encounter with you would lead to an increase of charity in our souls and a hunger in our hearts uh, mm. to to spread the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that you would allow uh, that that hunger for mission to well up inside of us, that we would want to share your name and proclaim the gospel to all that we encounter. Amen. Jesus, awaken us to the adventure of faith. And God, give us the grace to say yes to your call wherever we hear it and to seek out opportunities for ourselves and for our friends and our families where we might hear your call, where we might have those moments of encounter and introduction and invitation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, you're joining us today in a very exciting time. So the illustrious Damascus Media Studio, we're located here at Damascus in Sanderburg, Ohio, the home of Catholic Youth Summer Camp. And right now, you can't hear them through our walls and our windows, but we are surrounded by 360 amazing middle school and high school-aged campers. Um who are celebrating with joy the adventure of their faith. Absolutely. It's it's neat. So our, our primary apostolate here at Damascus is, is Catholic Youth Summer Camp, and we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this yeah. summer. And it's been so neat to see so many young people come through um, our doors here at Damascus. And this year in particular, it's, it's rather— um, it's just it's so strange. It, well, it's stranger because of COVID nineteen. But um, but I, I was say, suggesting that it's such an exciting year because uh, in the month of May, three of our alumni were ordained to the priesthood. There's nothing really, um, I mean, it's hard to describe how exciting it is to see someone who you knew as a junior high uh, <laughs> camper uh, now become an ordained priest, and uh-huh. um, or someone who you saw uh, in high school or right after high school uh, serving as a, a counselor at camp, and to see those early seeds of faith now become mature seeds uh, of faith that are um, are fostered in their vocation yeah. to the priesthood. And uh and so we're really excited. Today, we're going to bring on one of our camp alumni. Uh, he served as a counselor in the early years of Catholic Youth Summer Camp Amen. in 2004, 5, and 6, and has really been a blessing um, to our uh, community. But um, he was just ordained to the priesthood. Yeah. And he's a Dominican. And the Dominicans uh, here in Columbus have a rich history in our diocese. The Dominicans have a, a rich history in the United States and in the world. They celebrated not too long ago their 800th year as an order. Order. That's pretty amazing to think that like St. Dominic's got a group of guys together and said, hey, let's live a common way of life. And for 800 years, men 
and women alike have said, I want to live that way of life as well. That's, uh, that's a profound uh, work of God. Um, so someday, someday, Catholic Summer Camp will be celebrating our 800th anniversary. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I wonder what summer camp will be like in 800 years. <laughs> the uh, so so we're gonna. It's gonna be an incredible show. I think Aaron, what's um, what's needed today in the church is a conversation on um, on just vocational discernment. How you know? I think sometimes the 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 key is to provide areas and arenas and environments where young people have permission yeah. to hear the voice of God and and discern a vocation, you know, and, and our culture that's so loud to quiet down and to say, hey, God, what do you want for my life? Yeah. And we do that intentionally here at Damascus. We do that through Catholic Youth Summer Camp. Just last night, we we celebrated our, our time of Quiet adoration is one of the nights in the week where we take the kids outside. We, we, we meet when the weather's appropriate at our at our beach, and we, we have a beautiful altar set up there where we put Jesus on the monstrance, and the kids are just able to see how everything kind of coordinates. All the adventure and excitement that they've been having outside all week, kind of, you know, there's this moment of connection between the Lord and his invitation. So without further ado, um, thank you for joining us. For Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission, we're going to bring on Father Irenaeus, and we want to hear his story and be inspired by the way that he has said yes to the Lord. Join us right after the break. She is one of the most beloved saints of all time, honored as the saint of the little way. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Therese of Lisieux entered the Carmelite convent of Lisieux in 1888, survived only nine more years. Still, her extraordinary holiness and prayer life prompted her superiors to have her write an autobiography, The Story of a Soul. It became a spiritual classic. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The EWTN home video highlight for June is Living the Scriptures with Mother Angelica. These vintage Mother Angelica episodes will profit your soul and cheer your spirit. Each episode demonstrates Mother's insights, wisdom, and humor, which beautifully penetrate her reflections on the Old and New Testaments. Order your DVD set at EWTNRC.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or call 1-800-854-6316. And welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. As promised before the break, you are in for a treat, friends. We have an amazing guest who is here. As we said before, he is not only an alumnus of Catholic Youth Summer Camp in Damascus, but now also living an amazing life as a religious and a priest, a newly ordained baby priest. Let's welcome on <laughs> Father Irenaeus. Yes, love baby priest. Father, Dang. that's pretty exciting. Is there a name for your first year of priesthood? Like your first year of a so baptized Christian year the, neophyte? The, the common name for in our province is the young dad year. <laughs> so, um, you know, in the... In the past, you would be a priest simplex, and you wouldn't hear confessions, but thankfully I have the faculty to hear confessions. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I did not um, know that either. So it's sort of like a carryover from that. But also, it's typical for um, uh, priests in our province uh, to continue their studies. So often, they'll 
go to the third tier in the choir stall and they'll still be at the seminary finishing their STL. And that's in fact what I'm going to do in my young dad. Huh. <laughs> Your young dad year. I love that. So baby priest or young dad. And yeah, that's, that's great. So you have finished your, uh, formal education that you're finishing, like you'll, you do one more year at the seminary. Right. Yeah. So I did a, a bachelor's of sacred theology and now I'm doing a licentiate, which would allow me to, to teach like in a seminary or at a Catholic college or uh, Catholic high school even. So Nice. Okay, so Father, how long ago were you ordained? So May 23rd. So <laughs> Not too when long this ago. airs, that'll be <laughs> about, a month. about a month. Yeah, That's amazing. So <laughs> we, we really have the, the hands of grace here. And uh, so what, what, why don't you just share with us a little bit about kind of uh, how you came into relationship with Jesus in your younger years, and, and then we'll get to all the fun, exciting priestly stuff here in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I really started to encounter Christ uh, in a personal way in my later years of high school. So my brother uh, was in a youth program out near Denison University where he was going to college, mm-hmm. and uh, St. Francis at Sales Parish in Newark, Ohio, uh, had a phenomenal priest, Father Dean Matheson, yeah. Who was just, yeah, he he and Eddie Cotter and Al Gettler were just running this great youth program. And so I got in touch um, with my brother. He invited me out. It's like a 45-minute drive. But it was totally worth it because Eddie Cotter is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, if um, you've never met Eddie Cotter, just look him up. Yeah. Like, his hairstyle alone is hilarious. Yeah. I'm very happy he's now uh, working for the Dominicans at St. Patrick's <laughs> nice. in Columbus, Ohio. So <laughs> that's, that's a little plug for yes, yeah, the local, local church here in Columbus. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it was really uh, a combination of like being in a fun environment, um, really seeing the witness of Father Dean's devotion to the Eucharist, so yeah. experiencing Eucharistic adoration, um, and then also having some catechetical teaching. Like the catechism um, was introduced to me at that mm-hmm. time, so I was a junior in high school. And it was really that combination and uh, having a good confession where it, uh, grace started to kind of penetrate my heart, and yeah. I believed you know, in the things in a new and deeper way. I, I remember distinctly one uh, one evening mass uh, at the consecration. Father Dean elevated the host, and it just hit me. Wow. That's Jesus. So it was just a firm conviction of the teaching of the church and like a profound encounter with Christ through faith. Yeah, I think there was a special grace over <clears throat> the parish during that time period. And I, I remember um, going to mass there at the, at the same time and like, wow, like, and I was just a young person, right? Like maybe a freshman or a sophomore in high school and just thinking like, these people really believe that's Jesus. <laughs> like they actually right. believe that that's yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, it's it's uh, a witness that is so necessary in the faith. Absolutely. I think it's neat too. You mentioned like Eddie Cotter and Father Dean and they had the kind of, they were practicing, it was early in the new evangelization, you know, right, and right. they started uh, a new methodology of catechizing young people on the saints, the Dead Theologian Society. Mm-hmm. And was that part of like your experience there? Yeah, absolutely. So I would, I would drive out, um, it was during the weekday and the whole concept of Dead Theologian Society is to sort of take uh, high school students outside the normal context of like school and um, other parish events. And it's modeled after that, uh, Robin Williams movie, mm-hmm. Dead Poet Society. Um, and so you enter into kind of a room that is candlelit. There's incense burning. They had Gregorian chant, like, going through the speakers. Um, and then 
the leader would just read about a saint and you would hear of heroic deeds, uh, a life lived for Christ, um, and a little bit of their teaching as well, sort of the profound wisdom they gave to the church. And it was such a, a peaceful way to spend the evening. Like the, the drive out there didn't, didn't bother me because I felt sort of nourished and received some peace um, and some inspiration for my life. Yeah. I think it's so neat. I think a lot of times we um, we lose the the especially young people can lose the beauty of the saints, um, yeah. and they're so they're, because we don't know the full depth of them. We we like almost we grow up like referring to them almost um, passively because it's like oh yeah this is my parish of Saint Catherine of Siena and we we actually never learn about like oh my gosh Saint Catherine of Siena she's a she's a giant and uh, (laughs) or like yeah I go to Saint Pius school and it's like well do you know who Saint Pius was and like I think it's uh, uh, it was such a neat way for young people to come to really love the saints and and also to hear about the miracles and grow faith of like, wow, God is still alive and active in the church today. These, yeah. um, so if you haven't heard of Dead Theologian Society, feel free to look it up online. I've, uh, it's a really neat, innovative way to reach young people with the lives of the saints. Definitely. Uh, Father, so n- not, not to get on too big of a tangent about Dead Theologian Society and other great youth ministry programs, I, I'm intrigued by your relationship with your brother. So, okay. Um, did you always have a close relationship with him? It sounds like he was influential then uh, he, he was, yeah. in your conversion. Yeah, it was. So he's, you know, I think six years older than me. So mm-hmm. growing up, uh, yeah, we were, we were brothers and, you know, I have scars, I think, from him still. <laughs> uh, and he, he may say. have some for me. I, I think I got him back a few times. But <laughs> yeah. it was really uh, during that time, uh, so I was in my high school years and he was, I think, finishing up college and mm-hmm. being involved. But that, that sort of fostered our friendship as well. It was really by him kind of ministering to me in yeah. a way by reaching out and drawing me into some of the work he was doing that our, our friendship really grew. Yeah. So yeah, he's been a, yeah, a profound influence in my life for sure. Good. Well, that's an important, I, I think sometimes as parents, um, Many of our listeners have communicated, and and certainly I have experienced, and others that we've spoken to have experienced that it's hard it's hard to minister to your kids sometimes, and uh, it's such a that's such a great testimony that you had this relationship with your brother that actually pulled that out. So parents, lean into your older sons and daughters uh, if you're having trouble reaching the younger ones, um, or vice versa. I suppose you know the relationship between siblings is really powerful. I'm into that. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh, do you want to share a little bit more about like what was your what your faith life growing up was like? Growing up, I mean, we were we were a family that would go to Sunday mass. Mm-hmm. I, I went through the CCD program. I went to public school for Canal Winchester. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned later on the the profound prayer life of my mother, but it wasn't something that she sort of pressured me into or um, shared overtly. I knew she was, you know. Uh, as a young person, she was a church lady to me. You know, <laughs> oh, she, yeah, she yeah. would yeah. lecture. Yeah. She would invite her friends over. Your mother, right? Uh-huh. She, they were both good <laughs> friends, uh, and so they would have prayer meetings, and I'd see them. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. I mean, really, it was not until my high school years that there was a real sort of like, um, kind of possession of the faith. Like it wasn't something that really I I held dearly. So you fell in love with Jesus, and then you entered seminary, and then became a priest. No, it took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was that process like? So, 
the the call to to become a priest didn't really come to me until I helped out in 2004, the summer mm-hmm. of 2004 for CYC, and it was yeah, it was the I looking back on it, if I were to try and figure out what what was going on, like the workings of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. I think it was the fact that I had a during that week a life of prayer, um, regular you know sacraments, and then a good confession. It was mm-hmm. sort of like within that context. Um, really like a, a form of life that you live as a camp counselor here uh, for a week where God was actually able to kind of break through the noise of my life. Mm. Um, and it was in confession that I, I sort of voiced the the haunting concern that God may be calling me to the priesthood. <laughs> Do you remember the priest that you voiced that to? Um, he was an Eastern Catholic. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know his name. I think it is it Father, Father Ignatius. Ignatius. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is. Neat. <laughs> To write a letter. Those are, those and he are, was he was funny. He was just sort of like, "Wow, that's great news." Yeah. <laughs> it, was very, it was very encouraging. That's uh-huh. awesome, um, Father Ignatius. If you're listening, yeah. call thank, you. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. That's awesome. Yeah. It, that that's actually uh, th- this this summer at camp. We're talking about credo. I believe the profession of faith. And uh, I was sharing in my talk on Sunday night that there's something. It's not just that the church doesn't ask us just to have faith, but to make a profession of faith. And there's something that allows grace to um, be released when we make a profession, you know? And I, yeah. I think that's in a young man's journey uh, or young woman's journey of discerning. There's something that happens the first time you actually vocally say out loud to another person, I'm thinking about becoming a priest. Yeah. Like it allows that interior life to now become a uh, more tangible and incarnational, which is pretty neat. So here at Catholic Youth Summer Camp, we have, uh, we have a little tradition that at our closing mass now, we will invite up the young men and women who through the course of the week may have heard the Lord asking them to consider and be open to the option of religious life. Um, Father, when, you know, outside of that confessional, when was the first time that you started communicating that to the people that you knew and loved? Um, that was the first time I mentioned anything to anyone about uh-huh. that, and um, it was it was interesting because um, the I think it was Father David Shock. He was a seminarian at the yeah. time. Yeah. Without consulting me at all, he had set up an appointment with Father Jeff Koning, who's typical, who's a vocation director. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. That's, he, a, he that's pushed, a good strategy. Yeah, I was like, hey, you're meeting with the vocations director next it's week. Like, yeah, Father that's... Dave pushed me into my vocation too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nice. nice. So, so, Father Dave, if you're listening, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. great. I, I still have a friendship with him, so yeah. I'm going to get in lunch with him on Monday. But So I really like what you said, Father, the form of life that you were noticing. So a form of, of, of prayer, sacraments, and community, and to an extent. So that I'm sure that led to your discernment process on, like, how do I select a community that I want to be a part of, or sure. do I become a diocesan priest? What what was that process like as, as the Lord was maturing the call in you? Uh, Why did you choose to go the religious route as opposed to the diocesan route? Right. So that was that was a real gift from Providence. So seven years later, right? Mm-hmm. So that sort of um, nerve wracking encounter with the Lord yeah. and that confession happened two weeks before I was supposed to go to Virginia Tech uh, to study architecture. Yeah. So I sort of discussed with the Lord. Really, I did. It wasn't much of a dialogue. I sort of said, you know, I'm going to go become an architect. And yeah. If you really want this to happen, <laughs> you'll make it happen. So seven years later. 
Um, after practicing uh, church architecture, I was working for a firm, I had two degrees, uh, doing everything I thought that would lead to a happy life that would be serving the Lord as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was still a hunger you know, for something more, and it was uh, in the context of my parish at uh, St. Mary's, now Basilica St. Mary's in Alexandria, Virginia, where I sort of had a reversion, a deepening of the faith, and an encounter again with a, a good priest, Father Michael Kelly. Yeah. And uh, it was hit during his preaching that I realized the call that I had you know, received and heard back at COSC seven years ago was something that I really needed to give more time to, more mm-hmm. focus. And so I sort of, it was on Ash Wednesday 2012 during that homily when I realized, you know, the Lord was calling again, or was still calling, really. And uh, I sort of resolved to um, see how far it would go. Mm-hmm. Right? So sort of, it's a it's a choice, right? So I had made the choice to pursue the the life uh, as a lay man, um, potentially pursuing marriage, and to have this great um, noble occupation of designing churches for the liturgy, the worship of God. Um, but then that choice had to change, and so I chose to pursue the priesthood. And it was in that uh, Lent that was very grace-filled, and then it was during the Easter season where God had put a Dominican in my life. So I went to a, my friend's rosary confraternity meeting at her house, uh, with you know fifty of her closest friends, and the Dominican student brother showed up. So he's now a priest, uh, Father Cashin Durbis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was a student brother at the time. He gave a talk rooted in Saint Thomas Aquinas's teaching, and it was about divine providence and prudence, and how this is an you need to have an essential understanding of uh, providence and prudence in order to find God's call for you in mm-hmm. life. And so he sort of contrasted it with, like, um, a Jesuitical discernment approach, mm-hmm. which is really, I think, the default is that um, uh, a young person would tend to think that I find God's call by uh, sort of devoting a particular set of time to prayer, kind of ruminating and deciding and making a resolution. That's like, this is it. And then that's all that takes place. But what he was showing me is, like, you know, I remember it distinctly when he said, um, unless God willed in this moment for all of us to be here and for this world to exist, if he ever stops, it would cease. Mm. And he, you know, he, he timed it beautifully with the snap of his yeah. finger. It was like at that snap that it just, it was just like all of a sudden I was um, captivated by the yeah. truth he was teaching. And in the course of this evening where we prayed the rosary, with, there were several Dominicans present, and um, he gave a phenomenal talk. I began to realize that, oh, okay. So, like, I practiced prudence when I decided to become an architect. I figured out what architects did. It was something I desired, something I enjoyed. Um, I talked to architects. I looked at schools on, you know, how to become an architect. You know, I chose particular focuses within the field and religious architecture. There was this sort of moving through time and kind of probing and investigating things in kind of a normal way. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, apply that to your vocation. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I know that, you know, 
these men seem normal. They're human, right? <laughs> He's, you know, joking about, you know, his family and, you know, we're going to have, you know, beer and snacks after this and just like chat. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe religious life isn't what I thought it was. You know, I sort of had preconceived notions that religious life was made up of, you know, really emaciated figures who kind of levitated while they're <laughs> meditating. And there was just a profound, like, radiant holiness that yeah. anyone called to the religious life had. And after encountering religious, I realized that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're human. All levitate, just some of them. Yeah, just some of them, right? <laughs> um, so it's, it you know, breaking down those preconceived notions sort of opened room for me to actually consider. And even in hearing it and realizing, like, you know, what this was a phenomenal preacher and these guys seem pretty holy and and just good. They had a, a goodness about them. Uh I really just kind of went up and talked to one of the brothers in a way that was just open. Wasn't like convicted that this was what God wanted for me, but I wanted to see it out. And so uh the brothers invited me to join them for Vespers and dinner, which was like a great experience. And I remember being at the House of Studies, the first time I walked into the chapel during the chanted office, and you see just like walls of white habits and mm. like this sort of solemn chant wafting into the rafters, that there was a beauty there that, that did actually strike me uh, profoundly. And then um, sort of entering into it and not singing too off key or disrupting the liturgy, <laughs> I, can I sort handle of, this. you know, I can <laughs> fit into this a little bit. And, um, you know, having dinner with them afterwards, it was similar. So, they were interested in, you know, what work I was doing as an architect, and we discussed some of the theology they were studying and, you know, shared some laughs. They're funny guys, uh, enjoyable. Uh, some may call them bros, you know. But <laughs> like, so there, there was that experience. And then um, uh, Father Cash and, and uh, some of the other brothers would walk in the backyard afterwards, and we would just sort of, you know, digest our food, right, so, mm-hmm. and then and walk and sort of talk about, you know, Dominican life and what it's made up of. And it just, it just felt right, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, after kind of reading and talking to the vocation director and um, uh, getting Dominican confessor, uh, sort of talking over the potential of entering the novitiate, um, sort of decided, you know, yeah. to go. And it was actually meeting with uh, Father Paul Noble, who was the vocation director of Columbus, yeah. right, and really searching out, like, Talking, I was in Arlington, so I talked to the vocation director there. I'm from Columbus, so I talked to the vocation director there. And it was after uh, speaking with Father Paul Noble and sort of um, discussing actually his reasons for joining the Diocese of Columbus. Yep. Because uh, he was with, I think, the Pimey Brothers before. That I realized, like, his articulation as to why he was a priest of Columbus was the very reason I wanted to be a Dominican. And so yeah. it was on August 4th of... 2012, um, uh, we were celebrating a Dominican Rite Mass in honor of uh, St. Dominic at St. Patrick's that day mm-hmm. that I'd, I'd sort of resolved to enter into novitiate with the Dominicans. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I, I just, I love the the way you described uh, <clears throat> vocational discernment uh, with the virtue of prudence. And I think sometimes, I, I think a lot of times people feel like they have to... Um, make the decision prior to entering seminary or prior to entering religious life as to whether or not they're called. Right. And it's like, no, maybe just entering seminary is the next rational step in your discernment process. It's not, and the vocational discernment process doesn't have to happen 
a hundred percent before you enter because you still have another seven years usually before you're actually ordained yeah. and so uh, or take final vows and so there's so much time it's if we had just allowed that to be and I think almost choosing a career is a, not that vocations are any way like choosing a career but like well yeah you're gonna go to school to be an architect and if you realize after two years of architectural school this just isn't the passion that's lining up you waste a lot of money but you're, <laughs> you 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 choose a different path you know yeah, and right. uh Yep. I think there's freedom that if we could help our young people understand that, you know, you can take the next step and it doesn't mean you're signing the dotted line yeah. forever. Right. Great. So, you, uh, Father, you shared a lot of the um, conviction that led to your moment of discernment. Um, what is what is your passion for the Dominican uh, charism? It is um, the common life, which is, you know, both a blessing and a trial, yeah. right, to live closely with brothers who are seeking holiness, who have their own faults and failings. And so, you know, it's sort of that iron sharpens iron mentality. So Mm -hmm. it's a sanctifying life. Um, It's a life centered around prayer. So the chanted office, the liturgy of the hours, um, some of the, you know, more uh, embellished things that are really beautiful, like the habit, uh, devotion to the rosary, um, a life also dedicated to study. It's a it's a way of approaching Jesus as the truth. So the motto of the order being veritas. Yep. Um, I know I've yeah studying the teachings of the church, doctrine, and um, kind of reading theology as well has always fed me. That's that's always been a source of um, deepening my faith and conviction and desire for holiness as yeah. well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be consecrated in the truth is a really beautiful, yeah, beautiful thing. Well, good, and well, and I'll brag on you a little bit too. I mean, uh, Beyond Damascus is the show where encounter meets mission, right? And certainly, the contemplative life and community life is a missionary work. Um, but our community here at Damascus has been so blessed by uh, the Dominicans as well. In that, you guys, you guys preach fire and. Uh, just in in seeing you at mass yesterday, um, you, you've got a tremendous gift of being able to inspire and communicate truth in a way that's engaging and that's powerful. And uh, I think a lot of times, um, you know, as Catholics, where we kind of we kind of go through this process of of saying, "Yeah, I know I need to communicate this reality of the faith to my family or to my friends, but I just don't know how. I don't have the words." And sometimes we can lean on people who have studied and have and have really um, dedicated their lives toward the effective communication of the gospel. So um, I love I love hanging out with the Dominicans and just hearing <laughs> their heart for the church and their heart mm-hmm. for communicating truth in a way that is convicting and inspiring. How much time, on that same note, how much time do you usually put into a homily prep? I'd say um, for a Sunday homily, I right now usually have like an hour per minute mm-hmm. hour per minute yeah, yeah. so <laughs> well, that's, but that, that's and good, that's that's a good way to put it an hour per minute <laughs> yeah it's um you know and that's that's something that fulton sheen had talked about with his yeah. uh, life is worth living he put an hour into each minute of that mm. show wow that's a 40 40 plus minute show Holy <laughs> so like, smokes. he was really yeah, dedicating himself to it and that doesn't um that doesn't include the sort of meditations and um kind of just thoughts throughout the day of ruminating exactly. on 
how to say something or what needs to be said. That's often, I think, a difficult thing that you really stretches you in prayer to say it's like okay these are the readings and i know i can say this this and this about you know what saint thomas says or what some biblical scholar has like sort of contributed Mm -hmm. or church father has kind of spiritually interpreted within the scripture but it's like what do the people of god need to hear yeah what is what does jesus want to say to his church today that's awesome um and so that's a real um it's a, it's a challenging thing for prayer, but it's also very exhilarating because mm-hmm. sometimes Jesus makes it very clear, you know, what's going on uh, and what needs to be said. And you do, you do tell when the Holy Spirit is sort of working through your homily, unfortunately, those times, but maybe not so much, <laughs> or not in a way that you can sort of um, sense feel, yeah. Yeah, or feel. But yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great gift to get up in the pulpit and preach for the salvation of souls. Yeah. Well, I think that's the beauty that the Dominican order brings to the church, right? The, the, this wrestling with uh, uh, the truth and then sharing the fruits of that contemplation with others. And it's like, that we're going we're gonna to take our time to pray and to study and to pray and to study, uh, and then we share that. And mm-hmm. I think, the, um, you know, I think the, the quick pace culture and the content, there's so much content in our culture today, you know, and we're always tempted. Like it's just a, a content based culture and uh, it's, it's hard to get real well thought out, well developed thoughts. I, I, I just think on Facebook, you know, you usually just have people's emotional like ramblings or, or almost kind of like <laughs> thought tangents just spit out on Twitter and, and Facebook. And it's like, well, there's, there's an art to communication of let's right. actually <laughs> contemplate and pray and discern and gather our thoughts and then communicate. Right. And uh, I think you guys keep us grounded to keep doing that. <laughs> Amen. I love it. Amen. That's awesome. So what is uh, what what has been the grace? Do you want to share a little bit about the grace of your uh, ordination just a couple weeks ago? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Wow. So we were originally planned to be in the upper church of the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, which is a cozy place that seats about like 5,000 people. Oh, yeah, super cozy. Um, so because of the, the pandemic, our, our province had decided to do a private ceremony at our seminary, the Dominican House of Studies. We had it in the chapel. Um, and so family uh, was not able to come. Mm-hmm. So it was other than um, Archbishop Wilton Gregory, who is the ordaining prelate, uh, and his secretary, the rest of the crowd, were uh, my Dominican brothers. And so there is, yeah, a bit of suffering that goes along with not being able to, you know, share um, yeah. such a beautiful moment of grace with your family. But I was just, I was overwhelmed uh, during the ordination mass. And um, so it's, uh, I'm actually, yeah, kind of getting emotional recalling it. But to have that intimate of a setting and to have it be something from like the 13th century, mm. you know, of what was the mass like when St. Thomas Aquinas was ordained or <laughs> yeah. St. Raymond of Penyfort or St. Vincent Fair, like all these. So you celebrate the old Dominican rite when you do it? Is that, it wasn't, no, it was still Novus Ordo, but just the, the idea of like it being an intimate setting where yeah. it was just, it was a religious mass, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was, uh, personally, it was a, um, it was a time where I could really embrace my profession and my consecration and religious life because in professing obedience, um, poverty, and chastity, 
uh, I've I've sworn off, you know, family, friends, uh, property, um, for for Christ, and it was sort of as providence um, kind of demanded of us, yeah. you know, at that mass, uh, kind of forsaking all it for was Jesus. Affirmation of the vows, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's in like a real profound way of living it out, because like you know, it's I see my family, I. Um, you know, so far things have been working well, so I haven't been in want of too much, you know, mm-hmm. so kind of calls you to make sacrifices throughout the day rather than have them foisted upon you. But this was a real moment to say like, yes to Jesus, yes to the call. Um, and it was, it was overwhelming. It was a profound gift. Um, I'm just very grateful to, yeah. to be his priest now. I love that. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you have a, a, a dream for the Catholic Church, or if, uh, uh, or the message on your heart for the Catholic Church, what would it be like? As as the Lord placed a, a burning conviction for you, that you want to preach for the salvation of souls. Yes, um, you know the Pew Research study that came out um, recently about how I think thirty percent of the Catholic Church believes in the real presence. Yeah, it was it was. <laughs> That was staggering. Sobering, right? Yeah. You know, kind of astonishing that mm-hmm. it's, it's come to that. I think the church needs to sort of <laughs> repent and seek seek God in the sacraments. I really mm-hmm. do believe that these are great gifts that Jesus has given us to, to encounter him through uh, the ministry of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. I think is something he set up, you know, 2,000 years ago in his church. Mm. And it's a, it's a profound uh, gift to, to be hearing confessions now and to see the grace uh, working in people's lives. Um, the profound beauty of a contrite heart is uh, so apparent to me now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's by this. It's by humbly yourself before the Lord and receiving his mercy in the sacrament of confession and then going to the Eucharist and the Mass with a new heart to receive the love of God um, in the sacrament that will truly transform the individual and the church. So I think we we need to preach about the sacraments. I think this yeah. is something greatly needed in the church. That it's like these aren't just signs these are efficacious. This mm-hmm. is Jesus Christ, in a way, touching the body of the church to sanctify and heal and to give new life. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, too, because especially in, in the the Eucharist and confession, it's the, the, the physical form of those sacraments are exactly what people are hungry for, right? Yes. And it's just, it's almost like if we could make them compelling and accessible to the human heart in a way that um, speaks to the their actual life. It's that desire to be heard and received and healed and touched is exactly what people mm-hmm. want and confession offers. It. And yeah. we're going to all these self-help books and all these different like oil remedies and all right. kinds of different things right. to get what we already have. And then, right. and then the Eucharist, like this craving for intimate, like actual physical love to be mm-hmm. received. It's, it's there. We, we already have it. And the, I think sometimes we, we have the great gifts. We just haven't proclaimed the 
teachings in a compelling way. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and now is the time to do yeah. that. I love that. Amen. Well, thank you so much for sharing your testimony, Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my you pleasure. know, here at Damascus at Catholic Youth Summer Camp, we couldn't be prouder of you as an alumni, and we're really we've really been blessed this week to have you here with us. So, thanks for pouring into our kiddos, and um, it's a joy to celebrate here in your first month of ordained life. We should ask him. Do you have any fun camp memories? <laughs> any that you're yeah, allowed to say I, on the radio just remembering like the joy of being caked in mud for like an entire week <laughs> and just like you know rejoicing in the lord you know? <laughs> so it's a it's a phenomenal uh phenomenal place a phenomenal experience yeah <laughs> it is funny that you can be caked in mud for an entire week and then also be saturated in prayer, sacraments, and community Amen. at the Amen. same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the a lot of times you'll you you have these or campers have these profound encounters with the Lord while you know there's <laughs> just the the normalcy of life as well, like the the heat of the summer yeah. or uh, yeah. And when when we're not in COVID season, it's funny. You know, you give some good instruction on why to receive on the tongue when your hands are covered in. Pain. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Although I'm sure Jesus doesn't mind. Actually, get, uh, the so last night you did the um, on Wednesday night at camp. We have a, a Eucharistic procession down to the lake, and there's a quiet time of Eucharistic adoration by the lakeside. The I'm assuming based off the testimony you told earlier and going to confession, it was probably on the that night of lakeside adoration right. that you heard that original call. That's right. And then yeah. now. Uh, years later as a priest, you come back and you're actually leading campers in that experience. What was that like? Uh, That was beautiful, man. I think you use the same platform uh, Uh for the monstrous as well. Yeah. That was uh, amazing to see. And so it was was nice to sort of be in the back um, and pray and intercede for all the campers who were, you know, kind of in that position, you know, hoping that they would be open to whatever God had to say to them on that night. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's neat because so often, um, especially in our, our world today with technology, that just how loud silence can be. Yeah. You know, like when you finally put young people in front of the Blessed Sacrament in silence, it's like, wow, this is insanely like real <laughs> right yeah, now. It was funny because uh, Father uh, Stephen, the chaplain here for the high school group, was talking about the silence, and it, it revealed to me that it was. Uh, Wait a minute. It's like I'm used to silence for adoration because I live in a religious community mm-hmm. of Dominicans, but like the silence was the same. And you have like a whole group of high schoolers. Mm. It's just like that's amazing. Yeah, they're yeah. just they're enraptured <laughs> in prayer right now. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, they're hungry for it. Praise Amen. the Lord. Uh, well, you've been listening to Beyond Damascus, a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have a very hard time sometimes, and I'm so frustrated. I mean, frustrated, frustrated. Somebody says, how would you do all this, Mother? I say, I didn't. And they look at me. Huh? The Lord did. God does everything. Without me, he said, you do nothing. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. 
Hey Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car on Sirius XM Channel 130 and on the go on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Thanks for joining us. Beyond Damascus, of course, is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the global EWTN Catholic Radio Network. We have been so excited to have Father Irenaeus here with us today, and it's been an awesome show. Just before the break, friends, we were speaking about the power of the sacraments. And if you're listening to this show at a later time, we have just kind of gotten out, at least here in the state of Ohio, of a time where, due to COVID-19, where we have been um, separated from the sacraments for a while. And uh, it's just, I I suppose it's just an interesting, um, Father, as you were were speaking, that that sense was just resounding in my heart that the sacraments are truly the, um, the primary means by which Jesus has chosen to establish the efficacious work of his church. Right? right, and and that there's tremendous grace that comes through the sacraments, tremendous grace that's in fact guaranteed, not based on the holiness of the um, of the priest, not based on the holiness of the recipient, but that the sacraments actually allow us to engage in the life of Christ and the life of the church in a way that is uh, that is substantial, that's guaranteed, and that kind of. I don't know. It's it's like this. It's like the special grace. It's as if Jesus had in mind that the, that the world needed a special grace that 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 couldn't be diminished through our sinfulness. So he established these foundational points. We've just got a unique place in the world right now where where so many Catholics are hungry for the sacraments. And the big question, at least on on our mind, is is what what does life look like now that we've been separated for so long as we come back into sacramental life together. Um, Father, I wonder if you could just if you could if you could speak to uh, that the the power of the sacraments in the life of an everyday Catholic, and maybe maybe some encouragement as as we step back into that into that possibility. Right. Well, we know that one is never born a Christian. It's only in virtue of baptism that one uh, receives new life from Jesus Christ. So, at the very beginning of our supernatural lives, uh, we've been brought into the church by means of a sacrament, mm. right? By that baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the sacraments are meant to um, carry us onward um, towards our end goal, which is the beatific vision of God, um, in which we receive him wholly and fully, and we, in fact, become like him, as St. John says mm-hmm. in his epistle. So we're nourished uh, by the bread of angels, by the Eucharist, right, to carry us on our journey and to give us charity to go throughout the day. And we, in fact, grow each time we receive worthily the sacrament of the Eucharist, our charity increases. And that may surprise us because often we expect a uh, sensible change, right? (laughs) If we grow in charity, we expect to see it or feel it in some way. But often the work of the supernatural life sort of happens beneath the surface. It's a hidden life, and mm. God is able to do tremendous 
uh, things within our soul kind of outside of our reach, right? And uh, I think it was St. Gregory the Great who said, you know, if God, in fact, were to um, reveal his plans for us and the workings that he has uh, in mind for us in our lives, uh, and we were to know that, we would we would mess it up <laughs> we, because we would try to help. Yeah. Um, I can handle yeah, this. I can do know, this. It's like a, ch- a child trying to help their, you know, father, you know, work on the car engine or something like that. It's like, no, no, no. All right. It's best, best you kind of stand behind and hold the flashlight. Um, and so that's, I think something um, that might be a hurdle for some people when it comes to the sacraments is just um, moving in faith and trusting that through this sacrament, God is working Tremendous deeds in the soul. Yeah. And then the sacrament of confession is connected with the sacrament of the Eucharist. Like uh, St. Paul says in his um, epistle in the Corinthians, you know, uh, he who receives unworthily receives condemnation, right? That's a big deal. That is <laughs> that is a huge deal. And I think it's um, something that's been plaguing the church because yeah. the sacrament of confession, unfortunately, has not been preached about as something necessary, or there's kind of an error uh, rampant in the church where there's just this understanding of God understands. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to ask for forgiveness because he already forgives me, right? It's like, well, no, he established the sacrament of the forgiveness of sins for a reason, and it's for our benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We capitalize on the grace which we receive in confession, and I have to tell you, when a soul comes with a contrite heart, it is a beautiful thing. And you can see that God is working in that soul and he has big plans. Yeah. And so by simply um, confessing out loud, right, Dan, you had mentioned before, you know, how there's a certain um, uh, kind of change or realization sometimes yeah. when we, you know, profess our credo, yeah. when there's a profession, right? So in the sacrament of confession, you're professing you're confessing in fact like i'm a sinner yep lord i have offended you in this way these are my sins please forgive me Mm -hmm. and to say that i mean that that alone has catharsis even at a natural level if you have (laughs) a friendship with somebody and you've offended them and you go and you give a a humble and true apology there's a healing that happens there right and so this same thing is happening at the supernatural level in confession. And to hear those words, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are set free. Yeah. The Lord has removed all those sins you've confessed, and even the ones that you weren't aware of, right? Never withhold sins from the sacrament of confession. Don't go like, <laughs> you know, to the edge of the diving board and not jump in the waters of grace, okay? <laughs> exactly. Like, confess everything you can remember, um, you know, honestly. Put forth as much effort as you can. And then you receive this just tremendous uh, healing yeah. in your soul, which really makes you more receptive to the graces that God offers you yeah. uh, in the Mass, in the sacraments, and then even outside of uh, the liturgy. You know, if you're reading scripture, if you're reading spiritual uh, writing from the saints or studying theology, praying with individuals, um, if you're, you know, serving the poor or being a camp counselor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shooting your kids with paintballs. Yeah. Uh, these are all, these can be all means of, of grace, right? Yeah. Um, and you're more receptive when you've been given 
the the healing remedies of confession. Yeah. Amen. So to all our listeners who are still reintegrating back into the sacramental life of the church after COVID-19 or as an invitation to any um, listeners, even after the fact, who um, who may be considering a reintegration back into the sacramental life of the church, it's worth it. The grace that the church offers, the grace that the Lord offers to actually carry out the Christian life uh, is is significant, is necessary by design, and um, there's just there's so much goodness. There's so much goodness there. We just since we've been doing a show on priestly shoutouts, one of our priest friends, Father Patrick Schultz, outside of his parish in yeah. Cleveland, he had a gigantic sign made. I mean, just massive. The the length of the whole church it said, "If you've been looking for a sign." To come back to church, here it is. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> nice. So, so I, I think it's a, it's a great time um, for those who have been away from the sacraments. Um, now's a, an amazing time to come home and not feel like all of the, that fear of feeling judged or feeling unworthy. Um, let that lie go away because the, the church doors are open um, and hungry to receive you uh, through the mercy of confession and through the beauty of the Mass. And so if uh, if you have a family members who have been a, fallen away um, from the sacraments, let's pray for them. And and not only pray for them, but invite them again back into the church um, during this time of reopening our doors after yeah. the pandemic. Father, would you close us in a blessing and also maybe an act of faith uh, that we'd have a greater faith in the sacraments? Absolutely. May God the Father bless you with the gift of his Son, May his Son bathe you in his blood. May the Holy Spirit consume you with the fire of his wisdom. May Our Lady protect you in all purity and help you to contemplate her Son in your heart. May St. Joseph give you a happy death. And through the intercession of St. Dominic and St. Catherine of Siena, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Beyond Damascus, a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EW10 Radio and carried across the EW10 Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have enjoyed this show and want to share it with others, you can download our podcasts wherever podcasts are found. It's Beyond Damascus. Um, and for more information about the Dominican Order, where could people go, Father? Uh, you can look up the province of St. Joseph uh, and the Order's website, theorderofpreachers.org. Awesome. So, province of St. Joseph, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. God bless.